This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 101 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, I'm going to share a step-by-step plan for teaching narrative writing. Those who tell the stories rule the world. This proverb, attributed to the Hopi Indians, is one I wish I had known a long time ago because I would have used it when teaching my students the craft of storytelling. With a well-told story, we can help a person see things in an entirely new way. We can forge new relationships and strengthen the ones we already have. We can change a law, inspire a movement, make people care fiercely about things they had never given a passing thought. But when we study storytelling with our students, we forget all that, or at least I did. When my students asked why we read novels and stories and why we wrote personal narratives and fiction, my defense was pretty lame. I probably said something about the importance of having a shared body of knowledge or about the enjoyment of losing yourself in a book or maybe about the benefits of having writing skills in general. I forgot to talk about the power of story. I didn't bother to tell them that the ability to tell a captivating story is one of the things that makes human beings extraordinary. It's how we connect to each other. It's something to celebrate, to study, to perfect. If we're gonna talk about how to teach students to write stories, we should start by thinking about why we tell stories at all. If we can pass that on to our students, then we will be going beyond a school assignment. We will be doing something transcendent. In this episode, I'll share the process I used to teach my students narrative writing, 11 steps that take them from pre-writing all the way to final publication. I used this process with middle school students but it would work with any age group. If you're not a writing teacher, you might still be interested in this process, but if you're not, share this episode with an English teacher you know. Before we get started, I would like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft OneNote Class Notebook. OneNote Class Notebooks have a personal workspace for every student, a content library for handouts, and a collaboration space for lessons and creative activities. The collaboration space encourages students to work together as the teacher provides real-time feedback and coaching. Teachers can provide individualized support by typing, writing, or inserting audio or video directly into each student's private notebook. OneNote is free and available on any platform. Learn more at onenote.com classnotebook. Support for this episode also comes from PeerGrade. PeerGrade is a platform that makes it easy to facilitate peer review in your classroom. Students review each other's work, while PeerGrade takes care of anonymously assigning reviewers and delivering all the relevant insights to teachers. With PeerGrade, students learn to think critically and take ownership of their learning. They also learn to write kind and useful feedback for their peers. PeerGrade is free to use for teachers and students. To learn more, visit cultofpedagogy.com peergrade. Finally, I want to thank you for the reviews you've left for this podcast on iTunes. These reviews really help bring more listeners to the show, and I love reading them. If you've been enjoying this podcast but have never written a review, take a minute to go over to iTunes and let me know what you think. Thanks so much. 
Okay, before we get into the step-by-step, I have two thoughts to share. The first one is about form. And this is about the question of whether to have students write personal narratives or short stories. When teaching narrative writing, many teachers separate personal narratives from short stories. In my own classroom, I tended to avoid having my students write short stories because personal narratives were much more accessible. I could usually get students to write about something that really happened, while it was more challenging to get them to make something up from scratch. But in the real world of writers, the main thing that separates memoir from fiction is labeling. A writer might base a novel heavily on personal experiences, but write it all in third person and change the names of characters to protect the identities of people in real life. Another writer might create a short story in first person that reads like a personal narrative, but is entirely fictional. Just last weekend, my husband and I watched the movie Lion, and we were glued to the screen the whole time, knowing it was based on a true story. Then you have James Fry's book, A Million Little Pieces, that sold millions of little copies as a memoir, but it was later found to contain more than a little bit of fiction. And finally, there are unique books like Curtis Sittenfeld's brilliant novel, American Wife, which is based heavily on the early life of Laura Bush, but is written in first person with fictional names and settings and labeled as a work of fiction. The line between fact and fiction has always been really, really blurry, but the common thread running through all of it is good storytelling. With that in mind, The process for teaching narrative writing can be exactly the same for writing personal narratives or short stories. It's the same skill set. So if you think your students can handle the freedom, you might decide to let them choose personal narrative or fiction for a narrative writing assignment. Or simply tell them that whether the story is true doesn't matter as long as they are telling a good one. Here are a couple of examples of what that kind of flexibility could allow. A student might tell a true story from their own experience, but write it as if it were a fiction piece with fictional characters in third person. Or a student might create a completely fictional story, but tell it in first person, which would give it the feel of a personal narrative. Or a student might tell a true story that happened to someone else, but write it in first person as if they were that person. For example, I could write about my grandmother's experience of getting lost as a child, but I might write it in her voice in first person. So those are just a couple of examples. If we aren't too restrictive about what we call these pieces, and we talk about different possibilities with our students, we can end up with a lot of interesting outcomes. And meanwhile, we're still teaching students the craft of narrative writing. So that's the first note, a note about form. The second note before I get into the steps is a note about process. And this is an encouragement to write with your students. One of the most powerful techniques I used as a writing teacher was to do my students' writing assignments with them. I would start my own draft at the same time as they did, composing live on the classroom projector and doing a lot of the thinking out loud so they could see all the decisions a writer has to make. The most helpful parts for them to observe were the early drafting stage, where I just scratched out whatever came to me in messy run-on sentences, and the revision stage, where I crossed things out, rearranged, and made tons of notes on my writing. 
I have seen over and over again how witnessing that process can really help to unlock a student's understanding of how writing actually gets made. So I would strongly encourage you to make that a part of your teaching of narrative writing or any kind of writing really, is to write your own story with them and show them that process. Okay, so let's get into these steps. Before we do, I should note that there is no one right way to teach narrative writing. I'm not trying to say this is the way to do it. There are plenty of accomplished teachers who are doing it differently and getting great results. This is just the process that has worked for me and I thought it was worth sharing. Okay, step one, show students that stories are everywhere. Getting our students to tell stories should be easy. They hear and tell stories all the time. But when they actually have to put words on paper, they forget their storytelling abilities. They can't think of a topic. They omit relevant details, but go on and on about irrelevant ones. Their dialogue is bland. They can't figure out how to start. They can't figure out how to end. So the first step in getting good narrative writing from students is to help them see that they are already telling stories every day. They gather at lockers to talk about that thing that happened over the weekend. They sit at lunch and describe an argument they had with a sibling. Without even thinking about it, they begin sentences all the time with, this one time this happened. And they launch into stories about their earlier childhood experiences. Students are natural storytellers. Learning how to do it well on paper is simply a matter of studying good models and then imitating what those writers do. So start the unit off by getting students to tell their stories. In journal quick writes, think pair shares, or by playing a game like concentric circles, which I described in another episode called Icebreakers at Rock, prompt them to tell some of their own brief stories. A time they were embarrassed, a time they lost something, a time they didn't get to do something they really wanted to do. By telling their own short anecdotes, they will grow more comfortable and confident in their storytelling abilities. They will also be generating a list of topic ideas. And by listening to the stories of their classmates, they'll be adding on to that list and remembering even more of their own stories. And remember to tell some of your own, your own stories as a teacher. Besides being a good way to bond with your students, sharing your stories will help them see more possibilities for the ones they can tell. So that's step one, just get them to, to talk, get them to tell a lot of their own stories. Step two is to study the structure of a story. Once students have a good library of their own personal stories pulled into short-term memory, shift your focus to a more formal study of what a story looks like. Use a diagram to show students a typical story arc. Now I've got a picture on the website, which you should go to, go to cultofpedagogy.com, Click podcast and go to episode 101 and I've got a diagram of a story arc that it's that line that goes across and then it peaks up to the climax and then goes back down again to the resolution. So if you can show students this story arc and the older they are, the more familiar they're going to be with that. But use this diagram to show them that almost any good story follows this pattern and the more they can start to see this pattern lying underneath even the most simple story they'll realize, you know, some things are stories and some things are not actually stories. So one of the things I recommend is to show them 
a, a commercial. A lot of commercials tell a story. And I've got a link here to a Coca-Cola commercial called Brotherly Love, where it's just a, a boy and his older brother and the older brother like messes with him all the time. And he's always like teasing him and taking things away from him and stuff until this one time when the younger brother is at a park and a bunch of bullies come along and they go to take his Coke away from him. And suddenly the older brother appears and he gets the Coke back from the bullies. And so this, it's a, I mean, it's a 30 second commercial, but it's a really, really quick story that has exposition. We've got the background of the relationship between the brothers. And then we've got this sort of conflict where the, the uh, bullies show up and then, you know, sort of the climax, I mean, it happens very quickly, but then the brother takes the Coke and uh, we sort of see that their relationship, you know, um, the younger brother has more faith in the older brother from that point on. And so... And it has a humorous ending, but I've got a link to it in the blog post. Anyway, you can show them something that simple and, and show them that it has those same pieces. And so the more they can sort of study that structure, they start to understand what the pieces are that, that are required for a good story. So now we go to step three, where you actually introduce their assignment. So they've been immersed in storytelling. Now they need to be given specific instructions for what they are going to do. This would be the time to show your assignment rubric, and it should be developed at the beginning of the unit and not at the end. I strongly believe that you should get your rubric in line ahead of time, show it to your students so they can see at the very beginning how they're going to be evaluated. And as always, I recommend using a single point rubric for this. If you don't know what that is, go Google it because there's a lot of stuff online now about the single point rubric. Um, okay, so they un they see how they're going to be graded on this and what the assignment is. Step four would be to read models. Okay, so once the parameters of the assignment have been explained, have students read at least one model story, a mentor text that exemplifies the qualities that you're looking for. This should be a story on a topic that your students can kind of relate to, something they could see themselves writing. Now, later on, I'm going to tell you about a narrative writing unit that I have actually created. Um, but for that unit, I actually wrote a mentor text. I wrote a model story that's called Frog. And it's about a 13-year-old girl who has been wanting to stay home by herself for a long time. And her, her parents finally let her do it one night. Um, and after having fun for a little while, she finds this frog in the hall. <laughs> and she gets completely freaked out. And the frog kind of ruins her night. And there's more to it, but it's a it's a situation that would be kind of familiar to students. This is not about a ship captain, you know, out on the seven seas in search of a white whale. It's not about, you know, somebody living in the 1920s who, you know, is in love with a wealthy woman who lives across the river. <laughs> like it's it's a situation that is a little bit more universal to a student, you know, wanting more independence and then having that desire sort of tested. So if you can find a model like that or to or create one yourself, uh, this sort of help students to imagine what their final product could look like. Have them read this model as writers. Have them look at the way the author shaped the text for a purpose so that they can use those same strategies in their own writing. Have them also look at your rubric and find places in the model that illustrate the qualities listed in the rubric. And then I would also have them complete a story arc for that model so that they can see the underlying structure again in that, in that model story. Uh, ideally, 
your students are going to have read a lot of other stories up to this point, whether it's in other years of school or even in your classroom. Uh, so they can pull from a lot of different models. If that isn't the case, and if they haven't really seen a lot of models, um, over in the blog post, I've uh, compiled a list of recommended narrative texts. Um, I went on Twitter last week, and I was just asking people to suggest titles of, of narrative pieces that are good models for narrative writing. And we got a lot of recommendations. I believe it's over 100 recommendations. So um, I had one of my staff members put together a beautiful um, spreadsheet, a Google sheet with all of those titles listed. And so that is uh, linked in the blog post. So you can go to that and we will continue to add to it as people make other recommendations. Uh, so that would be an, a good place to start. And keep in mind that we have not read all of these and we're basically just listing things that people recommended. So I would strongly suggest that you read these before you just hand them over to your students. But this would be a really good place to look for some fresh texts that maybe aren't always in all of the anthologies. So having students read models is really important so they can envision what a, a story you know could look like you know, in the end of this process. Step five would be story mapping. Okay, so at this point, students have the assignment. They've run through a lot of different kind of ideas. At this point, they need to decide what they're going to write about. If they are stuck for a topic, have them just pick something that they can write about, even if it's not the most captivating story in the world. A skilled writer could tell a great story about deciding what to have for lunch. If they're using the skills of narrative writing, the topic isn't as important as the execution. And so again, it's important that they see some models where people are not writing about the most exciting thing in the world, but really showing the deeper meaning underneath it. So have them choose something. And almost every year I've ever taught narrative writing, I always have at least one student who just is stuck. And we have to kind of go with a, you know, just do this so that you can get the assignment done, which is not the greatest reason to write a story. Uh, but I, I feel like it's better than spinning your wheels. Sometimes those students who are stuck will get partway through the unit and suddenly come to me one day and say, I thought of something. Can I change it? And I will always say yes. I would much rather have a student write about something they're passionate about than slog through something that they don't care about. And for me also, this is a, a reason to let students see each other's work kind of constantly throughout this process because... The more they hear about what other kids are writing about, uh, it helps them come up with their own ideas. It will remind them of some other story. Or maybe they'll see somebody doing something really creative and interesting and they'll say, oh, I could do that. And then that'll help them think of their own idea that's kind of similar. So just keep in mind that what we're really trying to do is teach them the craft of narrative writing the topic isn't really as important as whether they've practiced the skills. Okay, so once they have a chosen topic, have students complete that same story arc for their topic. So this is to make sure that they actually have a story there and not just, uh, you know, sometimes students could write about like, you know, my favorite stuffed animal as a child. That's not a story. That's just a a description. What we want to do is make sure that they have an identifiable problem, a sequence of events that build to a climax, and some kind of resolution where something is different by the end. So again, if you're writing with your students, this would be a really important step to model for them with your own story in progress. 
So now that they've got this map, a sort of pre-writing plan, they're going to do step six, which is quick drafts. This is where students get their story down on paper as quickly as possible. We're talking basically a long paragraph that would almost read like a summary, but it would contain all the major parts of the story. Now, the point of this is to keep students from sitting there looking at a blank page or a blank screen and not knowing how to start. If you set for them, you know, I'm going to give you 20 minutes. You've got to write as much of the story as possible and just make sure you tell the beginning, tell the middle and to the end and do it at first for them. Show them how you just sort of sloppily say, you know, this story about the frog, for example, the character's name is Brie. You can say Brie always wanted to stay home alone, but her parents would never let her. But one night they got invited to a wedding and their babysitter canceled. So they were stuck. So they finally decided to let her stay home. So she stays home. She's having a great time. She's eating whatever she wants. She's running around the house dancing, but then she sees a frog and she freaks out and she doesn't know what to do. So you tell it basically the way that a kid would tell you a story in two or three minutes. Encourage them to write like they talk and show them how to do that in your own example. So have them just write out this quick draft, get all the way to the end. It's not going to be polished at all, but then they have an actual working draft. <laughs> they have a starting point. They've got something to build on instead of just staring at a screen. So that's step six, quick drafts. Now at step seven, they stop writing for a while and they take a step back and plan out the pacing. This is where they're going to begin to really shape their story. And this is where I would do a lesson on pacing, where students look at how writers expand some moments in a story, make them really, really long to create drama, and then they really shrink other moments so that the story doesn't drag. Uh, in this story about the frog, um, some parts are quickly summarized, and then other parts, like the part where she's actually trying to remove the frog from her house, you know, it's a part that in real life only takes about 10 minutes, but it makes up the bulk of the story. The other hours of the evening are condensed way down. So what I recommend you do is have students actually make a diagram, and I'm just going to describe it for you. This is like a series of boxes, and some boxes are big and some boxes are really tiny. And in those boxes, you've got descriptions of the chunks of the story and have the students actually show you with a large box and a small box, like which parts are gonna be big in the story and which parts are gonna be little. And just put those boxes in sequence. It would help for you to come look at it. But show them how to plan out, okay, these are the parts of the story that I'm gonna write really quickly, and these are the parts that I'm gonna really stretch out and make long and dramatic. And that really can help them understand um, that there's no accident in this. This is this is planned out by by writers. They they decide, and as a writer, you can decide when to speed up time and when to slow it down and really luxuriate in a moment so that your readers can experience that with you. So this is a different kind of pre-writing where they're planning out the pacing, making a pacing diagram. So they've got that. They've got their working draft and now they've got a plan for, for really expanding some sections. So now we go to step eight, which is writing the long draft. They've got a good plan. They now slow down and write a proper story draft where they expand the sections of their story that they really want to draw out and then add in some more of the details that they left out in that quick draft. Step nine is not just a day. Step nine would be about a week or so um, of just writer's workshop. 
Okay, they've got, everyone's got a draft now. And now we just go into full on workshop mode where you start every class with a short mini lesson on some aspect of narrative writing craft and then give students the rest of the period to write and conference with you, collaborate with their peers, um, and focus some of that time on the skill that you taught that day. The mini lessons should be, you know, five to 10 minutes, you know, maybe sometimes a little longer depending on the skill that you're working on. Um, but here is a list of possible topics that you can include that I would include in, in these mini lessons. How to weave exposition into your story so you don't give readers an information dump. How to carefully select dialogue to create good scenes rather than quoting everything in a conversation. How to punctuate and format dialogue so that it imitates the natural flow of a conversation. How to describe things using sensory details and figurative language. Also, what to describe. Students often give too much detail about irrelevant things. How to choose precise nouns and vivid verbs, use a variety of sentence lengths and structures, and how to add transitional words, phrases, and features to help the reader follow along. And finally, and I would leave this mini lesson until near the end, how to start, end, and title a story. And I would leave that till near the end because I've just found in my own writing that sometimes those elements don't really present themselves until I really know the rest of the story and then it gets a lot easier to figure out what title to give it, you know, how to start and how to end. And and really with that last one, the best way to have students figure those things out is to just look at lots and lots of models to open up story anthologies, to walk through the library, to open up a whole bunch of chapter books and look, how do people start things? How do they end things? and then have them pick something that they want to imitate and, and try it for their own until they find something that feels right. So that's a week or more of sort of writer's workshop with craft mini lessons. Once students have, have developed and developed and developed these stories, they're, they're getting closer to the end. So before we talk about the last two steps, I want to let you know that I have a brand new classroom ready narrative writing unit for sale that includes all of these things. It's a three week unit. It's ideal for grades seven through 12, although I, it could be adapted for younger students. It contains complete teacher lesson plans, 14 mini lessons available in PowerPoint, Google Slides, and printable PDFs, plus a sample narrative, this frog story that I'm talking about. Um, it's got editable rubrics and a whole, whole bunch of other supplementary materials. It's got everything you need to get your students writing fantastic narrative pieces. So to get a link to where you can purchase the unit, go to cultofpedagogy.com, click podcast, and choose episode 101. Okay, final two steps. So step number 10 is final revisions and edits. As the unit nears its end, students should be shifting away from revision, which is where they alter the content of the piece, toward editing, where they make smaller changes to the mechanics of the writing. Make sure students understand the difference between these two. They should not be correcting each other's spelling and punctuation in the early stages of this process when the focus should be on shaping a better story. I know one of the problems I've had where students will exchange stories with each other and instead of making any comment at all about the writing itself, they just go through and circle spelling mistakes. <laughs> That's just, if the story is gonna change substantially 
over the course of the next you know week or so, there's really no point in fixing all of the mechanical errors early on. That stuff is better to save until the end. So in terms of the whole revision and editing process, one of the most effective strategies for revision and editing is to have students read their stories out loud. In the early stages, this is going to reveal places where information is missing or where things get confusing. Later on, more read-alouds will help them to immediately find missing words, unintentional repetitions, and sentences that just sound weird. So get your students to read their work out loud frequently. It also helps to print them out on paper if you've got the ability to do that and you're you know, willing to basically waste the paper for that. For some reason, seeing words in print really can help us notice things that we just didn't see on the screen. To get the most from peer review, where students read and comment on each other's work, more modeling from you is essential. Pull up a sample piece of writing and show students how to give specific feedback that helps, rather than simply writing good detail or needs more detail, which were the two comments I saw most often on students' peer-reviewed papers before I taught them how to do a better job of that. Okay, step 11. Step 11 is final copies and publication. So once revision and peer review are done, students will hand in their final copies. If you don't want to get stuck with 100 plus papers to grade, which is a dreaded, awful feeling, and for me it would take weeks sometimes, uh, I've got two, I've got a, a process to suggest to you, and I've got a link to this on the blog, blog post. This comes from Catlin Tucker who uh, is a, another blogger and she's written on blended learning and I am probably going to have her on the podcast soon. Uh, she's just got a great station rotation model that keeps all of her grading in class. And it works really well with the model that I've just described in terms of having many lessons and workshop. And she has figured out a way to basically not take any grading home. So that's worth checking out for sure. Uh, and if you do ultimately end up handing students papers back that have feedback on it, you are going to have the problem that so many teachers have where students only look at the grade and ignore all the feedback. So uh, I've also got a link to another blog post, and this is actually on my site. It was written by a guest blogger named Christy Loudon, who is another brilliant English teacher, and it is called Delaying the Grade, How to Get Students to Read Feedback. Her strategy, which I'll just summarize really quickly, is to have students, um, you give them back their graded papers without the grade. They only get feedback first. And what she does is she requires students to read the feedback, go back to the rubric. They give themselves a grade first. They write a couple of questions for her, and then she sits in conferences with them. Only then does she give them the grade that she actually had for them. And they sort of decide together what their final grade is going to be. Time-consuming, yes. Uh, so something you probably would only be able to do a few times a year. But um, students actually read the feedback then. So I would check that article out too. Now, beyond the standard process of just write the paper, turn it in, get a grade, and be done, I have a couple of other suggestions for having students publish their stories beyond just for a grade. Here are three ideas. You could have the stories published as individual pages on a collaborative website or blog. 
Students could create illustrated ebooks out of their stories. And I've got a link on the blog post to another post that explains how that works. You basically put them all into a PowerPoint or Google Slides and then uh, save it as a PDF. Or students could create a slideshow that accompanies their stories and record them as a digital storytelling video. And you could do this with tools like Screencastify or Screencast-O-Matic. Basically, uh, tell the story with pictures or illustrations or something and, and record their voice reading the story and, and create a really nice video of it. So you could do some pretty incredible things with these stories once students have them. And I would encourage you to consider that because if we've done the work of having students appreciate how valuable storytelling can be to just have it end up as an assignment that gets a grade and then just gets thrown into a folder somewhere is, um, I don't know, it's a missed opportunity, I think. So this is the process that worked for me. If you have struggled to get good stories from your students, try some or all of these techniques next time. I think you'll find that all of your students have some pretty interesting stories to tell. Helping them tell those stories well is a gift that will serve them for many years after they leave your classroom. For links to all the resources mentioned in this episode, visit cultofpedagogy.com, click podcast, and choose episode 101. To get a weekly email from me about my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultofpedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. This podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.